Abolition. George Floyd, Dante Wright, Andrew Brown, Lindani Miani. These men are only four in a long list of people of African descent killed by police in America in the past year alone. But the pattern of police killing black people has an even longer history. The killings and worldwide protests have prompted an international commission of inquiry which found that the U.S. committed violations of international law and possible crimes against humanity. So when a police officer stops a white Caucasian person in America, their behavior and their treatment of the majority white is totally different from African Americans. They do not use their, their arms against white people in the way they use against black people. And that is why it is a crime against humanity. Bert Samuels is among 12 international commissioners who examined 44 cases of black people killed or maimed by police, including Eric Garner from a police chokehold, Michael Brown, whose death galvanized the Black Lives Matter movement, and Freddie Gray, who died from injuries sustained in a police van. The commissioners want the International Criminal Court to investigate the U.S. for crimes against humanity, including for murder, torture, and persecution. And some civil rights activists say it's about time. The U.S. has presented itself as the police and and even the human rights upholder of the world. Um, And, you know, since the U.S. first popped on the international stage as, as this sort of um, city on a hill or, or, or exemplar for the way to treat people. They have constantly been in violation of human rights. Putting America's treatment of black people under the international human rights spotlight isn't unprecedented. While the violations outlined in this nearly 200-page report are staggering, this is not the first attempt to hold the U.S. accountable under international law. A previous attempt to get the U.N. Human Rights Council to investigate crimes against people of African descent in the U.S. was curtailed under immense pressure from the Trump administration. Activists hope this commission of inquiry will exert international pressure to hold the U.S. accountable in a way that the U.N. couldn't. One of the reasons why it hasn't happened is, I think, the United States being accountable for its harm domestically would also open up the United States to being accountable Accountable for its harm globally. globally.
gotta come. Oh, yes, it is. There's a time I will go to my brother. heard a clip from the International Criminal Court charging the U.S. police with crimes against humanity. That was followed by the classic and also fitting A Change is Gonna Come by the late, great Otis Reddy. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard, and live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. I'm your host, Max Parthas. Uh, Brother Yusuf will not be joining us this evening. He is currently dealing with a family crisis, and we ask that you keep Brother Yusuf and his family in your prayers. Tonight, we expose the hypocrite's glass house known as America. We'll highlight growing international condemnations of U.S. racial injustices that fall under the description of crimes against humanity. 
will update you on the efforts to end constitutional slavery nationwide and discuss the public prediction that the American-made global enslaving monster called the Geo Group is about to go bankrupt. All that and much more. Of course, we'll do it with music and poetry, as you've already heard. So hang on for the next two hours. Grab a pen and a paper. The master class on modern slavery abolition has already begun. Tonight, I'm joined by special guest host Tag Harmon out of New York. Tag and I go way back to the days of New Abolitionist Radio on Black Talk Radio Network. He's been a guest here on Abolition Today and is a longtime slavery abolitionist and community activist. Welcome back, Brother Tag, and thanks for holding it down with me tonight for this extremely impactful episode. Well, of course, of course, Brother Max, and, and thank you for the invite. Uh, of course, peace to Brother Youssef, and, you know, we'll continue to be thinking about him and his family as they get through this. Um, so tell me a little bit of how you feel about what you just heard, because, you know, you've been doing some research since I got that, gave you that last minute call and looking into things, and, and you also sent a link to me uh, with the brother from West Africa uh, was talking about, you know, how to address this regarding the African perspective. Uh, so give me your thoughts on what you just heard, including the music, if you don't mind. Oh, well, of course. I mean, that track is always going to just have that spiritual uplift to it. So there, there, there's something very elemental about the music, you know, and that, that, that soulful sound with regard to our struggles, you know, over the centuries. And, um, you know, heads like Otis Redding really just know how to, how to directly connect, you know, to that, to that ancestral source that, that we find so much strength in through this struggle. So um, always appreciate that. It just helps to remind you know that not only change is is coming, but it you know it's it's here in so many ways. So um, as as this report and and so many other uh, developments, especially on the international level, uh, indicate to us. You know, so um, it's always great to hear uh, what the brother was outlining and 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 the sisters as well who uh, were a part of putting this uh, together as far as this report. And more importantly, the, the work that's going to flow out of it from there, because, you know, as you well know, these uh, observations are becoming more and more uh, regular. You know, we're seeing them with greater regularity and frequency, um, as we should, you know, as this um, slaver empire uh, crumbles at, a, at an increasingly rapid rate, you know. And so we got to, at every chance we get, you know, lean in on those um, weaknesses that they have. So it's great to hear from the continent about uh, the contradictions here. And, and we always have to continue to build with them as I know you have. And, um, you know, so many of our other uh, abolitionists and organizations have, have um, done for, for a long time now. So um, I just applaud that work that they're doing. I did see a couple of um, spots, you know, that, that could have been a little bit more clearly filled in with the report, you know, and in, in the, in the spirit of, of uh, you know, uh, comradely critique, uh, as, as I'd imagine um, you, you recognize as well. But overall, I think it's a, a very valuable document and, and it's extremely important work that they're doing. Absolutely. Um, they are making charges of murder, torture, persecution. And we know all the things are happening. And we've been asking for so long for help. 
you know, I remember when I was a child with my great aunt in Patterson, New Jersey, listening to this song, Change is Gonna Come, because we were hoping a change would come. Like, things were bad then, in the 60s. And here we are in 2021, and we're still singing that same song with just as much passion, waiting for that change to come. And the world is starting to see the crimes that are happening here. But, you know, before I get deeper into the ICC as well as the other global condemnations, I want to talk about uh, a few things that have happened in the past week and something that's coming up. You know, Memorial Day is right around the corner. So I want to remind people that Memorial Day was started by former slaves on May 1st, 1865 in Charleston, South Carolina, Carolina, to honor 256 dead Union soldiers who had been buried in a mass grave in a Confederate prison camp. They dug up the bodies and worked for two weeks to give them a proper burial as gratitude for fighting for their freedom. Then they held a parade of 10,000 people led by 2,800 black children where they marched, sang, and celebrated. And that was the beginning of Memorial Day. Uh, so many things trace back to slavery. Some of them are uh, just, you know, slavery continuing in so many ways. Uh, an example would be what happened recently in Louisiana. As you know, uh, nine white Republican senators or state representatives voted to keep slavery legal in their state. Uh, I happened to be the host of their uh, an episode recently uh, where the brothers and sisters that was involved in that uh, recapped the incident and tried to learn from it and make plans for later. Uh, so that happened, and now there's a bill as well that, ha- that they put out there, <clears throat> which the Supreme Court found that the 10 and 2, 11 and 1 juries, these Jim Crow juries that had lasted so long in the state of Louisiana, were actually con- unconstitutional. And everybody knew it all along. It was uh, completely race-based in a way to eliminate black voices in the judicial uh, arena while including them. So you would bring one or two on, but their vote would never count. Uh, So anyway, that was found unconstitutional. It was, uh, I believe it's Ramos versus Louisiana. So they tried to make that retroactive to the over 1,500 people who were serving time on these Jim Crow juries, and it died in hearing. It says, uh, After nearly an hour of testimony and support, and none in opposition, a bill that aimed to give new trials to 1,500 people who are serving prison sentences based on non-unanimous jury verdicts was killed in a committee hearing at the Louisiana legislature on Thursday morning. That's just a damn shame. You just threw away 1,500 people's lives like they didn't even matter. And this is the same state and the same uh, house that just voted to keep slavery legal. And, of course... The third uh, thing that happened over there in Louisiana was the death of Ronald Green, or at least his the video of his death being released after two years and showing a massive cover cover up that went all the way up to the Department of Justice. Uh, so that happened. Uh, also, California got their date to be able to have their hearing on whether or not to remove involuntary servitude from their state constitution. jump on board and be one of those states like Colorado, Utah, and Nebraska, and Rhode Island who have neither slavery nor involuntary servitude in their state constitution. So uh, big ups to Cali, and especially uh, Jamelia Land out there, uh, 
and uh, her husband, uh, Brother Samuel Brown, who is actually an incarcerated individual that wrote the legislation for ACA 3, the bill which removed uh, involuntary servitude. Uh, then finally coming up, uh, or actually almost finally, coming up on June the 12th, I will be part of a panel discussion uh, hosted by Dr. Joy James and Dr. Jared Ball. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Joy James is a wonderful person. Uh, she is an abolitionist as well, and we've had some conversations. And I'm looking forward to being on this panel specifically because it's about accountability, accountability and social justice movements. So I rarely get to talk about accountability, and I'm probably going to be the guy all the way out on the other side of things, you know. Um, then we got a, a film that's out called The Underground Railroad. I highly recommend it. I've watched the first two episodes. It's not for the faint of heart. You've got to be able to look past the pain, but the director has created a masterpiece of visual epic scenes that uh, just by watching these few seconds will take you hours to unpack it all, to see all the differences, I mean, all the connections of what's going on and the implications. There was one scene where they were pulling uh, the woman girl, Cora, out of the shack she was born in, where her mother was born in, but her mother was born in Africa, so the two generations were born in this shack on this plantation, and she was holding on for dear life, screaming, this is the only place, this is where I was born, this is my home. And you're thinking, wow, it just took two generations for this slave plantation to be your home. So yeah, anyway, it's, it's like that. Uh, then again in California, California is going to have a press release on June 19th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., uh, and that's in regards to it's a rally for ACA 3, the California Abolition Act, which when passed will remove involuntary servitude from California's constitution. So you want to look out for that on Juneteenth, because on June 17th, Senator Merkley and his co-sponsors will introduce, introduce the 28th Amendment, which is the Abolition Amendment, that will counter the 13th Amendment uh, itself. So. That'll be introduced on a federal level through a joint resolution on June 17th. Um, I think that covers it for all the stuff that's been going on. So let me take it back to what we were talking about regarding the International Criminal Court. All right, I'll pass the mic over to you, uh, Brother Tag. Yeah, well, you know, how, how would you like to begin approaching it? I mean, there's, there's a lot there. I, I did what I could to kind of comb through the language of the report, and uh, there's a lot that's encouraging. There's a lot, you know, of course, it's discouraging subject matter overall, but we have to face it, and it's and it's always welcome when heads are facing it, especially coming from, you know, platforms and positions like these. So um, I guess just to, to get the quick comradely criticism out the way, um, I w I'll just point out the obvious that uh, despite its very thorough um, plumbing into the some of the depths of this history as far as, you know, the slave patroller origins of these slave patrollers out here and, you know, all of the colonial logic of, of you know, of th this particular strain of racism that exists here, et cetera, um, there, there is the um, all too frequent, uh, let's say, oversight, perhaps we could put it that way, of the 13th Amendment exception clause mm -hmm. itself and the pivotal role of, of that particular exception. Um, 
down to them even basically skipping over that amendment almost entirely and going right to the 14th Amendment uh, after the rather thorough discussion of the Civil War context and drawing from uh, W.B. Du Bois's uh, Black Reconstruction, which is, of course, an excellent and important uh, volume about all of this. So, yeah, that, that, that to me was just, just one more example of, of how pivotal uh, this work is, of just continuing to underline that, that exception clause and, and, and how pivotal it is to, to, um, you know, to maintaining this system of slavery. Exactly. Thank you very much. And, you know, there are countries who are calling it out specifically, the 13th Amendment. I remember the first one was Venezuela about eight years ago who talked about the 13th Amendment. You might remember that too, Tag. Um, and then you saw what happened to Venezuela not long after that. Uh, so the president passed and now the country is in turmoil. But I did want you to also uh, point out, help me to show examples of other international bodies that are levying charges, indicting the United States on crimes against humanity, like slavery and genocide. And I'm referencing, for instance, one would be the spirit of Mandela. You want to tell us a little bit about that and your position in it? Oh, absolutely. So uh, spirit of Mandela, in the spirit of Mandela is a campaign. It's been ongoing for some years now and is really uh, on the cusp of, of some of its uh, some of the major developments uh, from behind that uh, particular campaign, and uh, it was put together. It's it's really um, the 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 brainchild, if you will, of uh, the freedom fighter formerly enslaved, um, uh, Jaleel Muntakim. Um, you know, one of one of the uh, revolutionary elders who uh, was, at least to my knowledge, one of the one of the earliest to, to really underline that, that exception clause uh, in this century, um, you know, on, on that political level within the black liberation movement and, and um, himself and some of his comrades, you know, were, were doing some work in the courts uh, petitioning against that particular exception clause, um, you know, back in the uh, early seventies, um, if memory serves. So, um, has been doing, as, as many of us uh, know and, and all of us should know, has been doing extremely important work uh, from out the gate, uh, was uh, enslaved for um, going on uh, half a century um, on the inside um, and was finally released um, just very recently. Um, so, and, and so the In the Spirit of Mandela campaign um, is a continuation of his efforts to really bring this issue of prison slavery to the um, international community. And so um, uh, heads can look up spiritofmandela.org uh, for, for more information about that campaign. You can also email spiritofmandela1, the number one, at gmail.com. And uh, one of the most important development of that campaign right now is that we're leading toward the tribunal. It's going to be a, um, an international uh, tribunal taking place here in the U.S., in New York, um, and we're, you know, uh, it's going to be in, here in the U.S. Um, we, it's in October, and um, there have been, there's been a series of webinars to to help to give some clarity about what 
the what the tribunal will be doing. The most recent one of those was uh, just a week ago, um, and the third of those tribunals um, will take place on June 23rd. And it's just basically to outline, you know, what the tribunal is about, um, you know, what some of the charges will be. Uh, speaking of uh, crimes against humanity, uh, the, the tribunal is really looking at this question of genocide um, very closely and um, recognizing that that is one of the uh, crimes against humanity that, that, that needs to be um, put a stop to um, at all costs. And, um, and just to quickly outline some of, some of um, what, what that tribunal will be focusing on, um, there, there's, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at questions of, uh, of course, the um, environmental racism that goes on out here. Um, we're, we're looking at uh, the, you know, issues of prison slavery, which, of course, you know, we continue um, to, to focus on here and, you know, should be focusing on everywhere that we can. Um, we're also focusing in on political incarceration in particular, um, as well as the uh, slave patroller violence, which you've already discussed and, you know, gets discussed uh, all the time on this particular broadcast, the healthcare racism and those disparities, and um, the sixth focus uh, again, the crime against humanity of genocide uh, that that I just pointed toward earlier. So, um, so again, we're the 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 next major development of that will be the tribunal held in October, and um, that'll be taking place in New York. But there's a there's a very um, you know uh, important remote uh, element to all of that that anyone who can't get uh, to New York for October 22nd. Uh, should should just connect with us, um, connect with anyone that's a part of this uh, tribunal. Uh, Brother Max, I know that you've uh, participated, um, you know, with regard to uh, building that, and ideally, you know, we'll continue to, and we can continue to connect with Abolish Slavery National Network. And, um, again, uh, spiritofmandela.org, you know, you can find all of the pertinent information there. Thanks, brother, uh, for that update. I appreciate it. We need these types of efforts to happen, this type of pressure to be applied. And, you know, the pressure is coming and pushing people to the point where they're disgusted all over the world, and it's only the superficial stuff that's got them enraged. You know what I mean? Like, they really haven't dug in deep like we've dug in to see the intent and the scale of the blood and death and destruction and oppression. Uh, But there's another organization which set precedents. For years, I've been lobbying the anti-slavery organizations of the world who would not recognize uh, prison slavery through the 13th Amendment as well as the for-profit prison industries globally as a form of slavery, despite the fact that right here in America, we claim to own people. They become state property. I mean, when you reduce a person to property, then what is that? It's slavery, right? Uh, I'm also a little concerned about uh, the argument of narrowing everything down to prison labor, slave labor, because slavery in America is so much more than just prison labor. It begins with the ownership of a human being, and you can store that human being for profit uh, by you know, robbing the taxpayers for the price of incarceration and keeping them alive. You can work them. Uh, there's a lot of things that are done with human bodies behind prison walls. But this other organization uh, is a 
the end slavery in U.S. prison and, and detention industries from freedomunited.org. They're an anti-slavery organization, and they set precedents by recognizing this. And they set up a website as well as um, efforts now to inform the world. I believe they're, they themselves are involved in anti-slavery movements in about 114 different countries. And here's what they said. Forced labor should not be legal in the United States, but it is, and it's rife in the U.S. prison and immigration detention industry with public and private actors to blame. Under the 13th Amendment, involuntary servitude remains legal as a punishment for a crime. However, even those who are not convicted of crimes, including immigrant, immigrant detainees, have allegedly been subject to forced labor behind bars. The U.S. public and private prison and immigration detention industry has long been built to, ex- to exploit profit from those who are incarcerated, who in some cases are forced to work under threat of punishment or penalty in contravention with international standards. We won't let this stand unchallenged, which is why we are calling for major reforms of the prison industry. They kind of, you know, contradicted themselves in things, but I have to realize that they're just coming to this conclusion. You know what I mean? Once you realize, it does open your eyes, but it takes a while to sink in. Uh, Brother Mark Hughes called me today talking about Max. I got to tell you, man, I'm an abolitionist. I'm like, huh? He's like, yeah, man, I'm a slavery abolitionist. I get it now. I get it. And that's how it goes. I mean, you, I mean, well, you know what I mean? You start looking at things through the lens of the fact that slavery still exists and is in practice. Uh, passing it over to you, Brother Tag. Without question, it's it's a it's a process, you know, and, and sometimes it takes longer than others. But those that are sincere and that have any sense of the magnitude of this history, you know, eventually it's it's going to connect. And um, it is. one one portion of this that I found that I found so encouraging was just you know the the level of uh, recognition that that these uh, young individuals had. Um, about you know the dimensions and complexities of this you know if you look at the the video connected to the article that you just quoted from you know these are these are heads uh, I think they said in their early 20s etc um, so yeah that's just very encouraging to see that you know we're continuing to build and make sure that you know as early as possible we're well aware of, of these issues so that we can do the necessary work to to continue to build. You know, when it comes to priorities in the United States of America, uh, our citizens tend to get them all mixed up. You know, issues of crimes against humanity, slavery, and genocide, uh, these things are top priorities. They should be at the top, number one. But for years, I've never seen any of our top ten lists really have these issues. But they they, They didn't believe they were even possible. And as a matter of fact, when they could solve certain problems, with just money alone, they chose not to. Uh, and it reminds me of a poem where, that I'm about to play uh, from one of the ancestors, Brother Gil Scott Heron. But I want to uh, introduce it with a modern uh, spinner. So let's just go ahead and play that poem, and we'll be back on the other side. You're listening to Abolition Today at abolitiontoday.org with Max Parthas and Tag Hartman today. We'll be right back after this. 
Abolition. Abolition. The billionaire Elon Musk is speeding up his plan to send people to Mars. He now predicts a manned spacecraft will reach the red planet by 2022. That's three years sooner than his earlier estimates. Now, Musk wants to colonize the planet, but it's going to cost billions of dollars. Is it realistic? Andre Pierre Duplessis reports. We have a poem here. It's called Whitey on the Moon. <laughs> and, uh,. It was inspired, it was inspired by some whiteys on the moon. So I want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, that's it. A rat done bit my sister Nell with whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell, and Whitey's on the moon. I can't pay no doctor bills, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while Whitey's on the moon. You know, the man just up my rent last night, because Whitey's on the moon. No hot water, no toilets, no lights, but Whitey's on the moon. I wonder why he's up in me, because Whitey's on the moon. Well, I was already giving him 50 a week, and now Whitey's on the moon. Taxes taking my whole damn check. The junkies make me a nervous wreck. The price of food is going up. And as if all that crap wasn't enough, a rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell, and Whitey's on the moon. Was all that money I made last year for Whitey on the moon? How come I ain't got no money here? Mmm, Whitey's on the moon. You know, I just about had my fill of Whitey on the moon. I think I'll send these doctor bills, air mail special. To Whitey on the Moon. Abolition. Abolition. Today. 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 The brother Gil Scott Haran with Whitey on the Moon. And that was, uh, pre- uh, before that you heard Elon Musk talking about going to Mars, colonizing Mars at the cost of $10 billion. Man, what could we do in some of these communities with $10 billion? You know, it's, it's, it's priority so twisted. From Tag, any commentary on what you heard? I was just going to colonize, I guess, Dre. <laughs> colonize is going to colonize. Speaking of... Um, those who had the balls to really speak up, it's amazing that China has taken our side so, so strongly, and they're aware of the circumstances specifically, talking about the 13th Amendment. But they're not just talking about the racism. They pointed directly at the 13th Amendment. Uh, there's an article that comes from ChinaDaily.com, and let me read what they said. They said that although the 13th Amendment officially abolished slavery, and declared every person in the U.S. is free, it made an exception. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist, was in the United States. Which means incarcerated persons can be forced to work as punishment for their crimes. Almost 150 years after the U.S. abolished slavery, forced labor continued in the country. Nearly all of the most well-known brands in the U.S. run or help run sweatshops to make their products, 
2016, the U.S. Department of Labor investigated 77 garment factories in Los Angeles and found egregious labor laws violations in 85% of them. And the ILO estimates that many of the 170 million child laborers worldwide make garments and other products to satisfy the demands of American consumers. So China going in hard on that 13th Amendment, you know. Their interests in ours might not coincide, but we appreciate them calling them out on it. Tag? Without, without question, you know, it, it, it's, it's funny how all of that, you know, ends up working out. Because part of this, at the very least, would seem to be the result of the U.S. and, and their propaganda machine trying to levy these kinds of, uh, you know, claims against the against the Chinese government and, and trying right. to implicate them in, in you know so called practices of enslavement and even even talking about cotton production, et cetera. So, you know, it feels it feels a lot like um projection and deflection, which we we're we're mad used to by now by these uh from, from these US slavers. So here's an example of, of that just getting getting uh reflected right back on them and you know the the proof is right there. I mean, they pointed right to it. It's it's in the the you know crowning document that's supposed to undergird this this whole enterprise here of the U.S. Constitution. So what can you really say? And just by having it in our supreme document of the land, the Constitution, the supreme law, just by having it in there is a violation of multiple international agreements regarding slavery. Uh, not the least of, which is Article 4 of the Declaration of Human Rights that says there should be neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, right? So here we are with it in our freaking Constitution as an actual punishment that is allowed. <laughs> slavery and involuntary servitude. Uh, and, you know, it's not just China that's been calling out America. Russia's called out America. Uh, Canada's called out America. Uh, a number of other nations, African nations have called out America. Uh, but, you know, often we'll say those are enemies of America or those are uh, adversaries of America. So it's just propaganda that they're doing. Like when Russia was telling us some stuff, what do they call it? Operation Black Fist. Uh, and they blamed it on the Russians. They said the Russians were trying to confuse African-Americans and making them upset at police for killing them and making police upset at them for protesting against them being killed. I'm like, man, I've been I'm born and raised in America and it's always been like that. The Russians they had to show me nothing. I was already there. Exactly. And these are these are some played out tactics from a played out empire because they've been doing that. They've been trying to point at Russia in particular or, you know, at, in that moment the the Soviets as as attempting to propagandize uh, African descendant has here, you know, in the context of the Black Liberation Movement and civil rights and all the rest, you know, and this 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 played out Cold War attempt to, I mean, who who are they trying to convince at this point? That the ones that 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 they're making these claims about, been knowing, you know, what what it is, knew it back then, but now there's all of this historical record to see exactly how this regime operates and how they try and play heads against each other in this exact way. So, yeah, it's, I mean, 
it's, it's, it's insulting on, on one level because, you know, it's so obvious, but on another level, it's, it's good to see because it shows that they really are running out of tricks. They sure are. And, you know, I, there's another clip I want us to play. It's about eight minutes long. I want everybody to hear this um, because this doesn't come from Russia. It's not coming from China. It's not coming from anybody you deem as an enemy. This is India now talking about what's happening in the United States. I'm also having some communication issues with a friend that wants to call in the show, so I want to make sure that they get the information. If you have a question or comment, the number is 515-605-9814. Remember to press 1 on your keypad so that we know you want to talk. Because a lot of times people just call in to listen, and uh, we'll have a bunch of numbers up there. So press 1 on your keypad that we know way we know that you have a question or a comment. So let me play this. It's India Blast U.S. on human rights hypocrisy. You're listening to Abolition Today with Tag Harmon and Max Parthas today, and we'll be right back after this. Abolition Today. Let me show you some headlines. The U.S. has asked India to engage minorities on CAA and FCRA. The U.S. is introducing a bill to probe whether Myanmar's attacks on Rohingyas constitutes genocide. The U.S. says Pakistan's attacks on minorities are hampering religious freedom. The U.S. criticizes Turkey for restricting the rights of minority groups. The U.S. calls out Beijing for suppressing Christians, Uyghur Muslims and Tibetan Buddhists. The U.S. tags Russia as a country of particular concern. There are also Vietnam, Eritrea, Iran, Nigeria, North Korea, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Tajikistan and Turkmenistan, all countries of particular concern. And this happens every year. A quasi-judicial body called the USCIRF or the US Commission on International Religious Freedom publishes an unwarranted report, binds it with a claim of independently assessing and unflinchingly confronting threats to fundamental rights. It lampoons countries, schools them on equality and speaks not a word on fundamental rights in America. What about the plight of minorities in the US? What about the rampant racism? Again, a stoic silence, which only goes on to indicate Two possibilities. Number one, America thinks it is above all. Number two, the American truth is too bitter to confront. The crisis runs too deep for those sitting in America to dig it up annually. U.S. President Joe Biden was recently asked his views on racism. He said, and I'm quoting, I do not think America is racist, but I think the overhang from all the Jim Crow and before that slavery have had a cost. His deputy said the same. America's first black vice president, Kamala Harris, said this, I don't think America is a racist country, but we also do have to speak the truth about the history of racism in our country and its existence today. Now, first of all, these statements contradict themselves. Why say something so assertively only to follow it up with a but? As for the truth, here it is. America has one of the worst records in the world on minorities. No matter what its leadership tells you, the country is systematically racist. And we will show you that on this episode of Gravitas Plus. Hello and welcome. I'm Palki Sharma Upadhyay and tonight I argue that racism in America is a reality. Let's begin with history. Between 1525 and 1866, 12 and a half million people were kidnapped from Africa. They were bundled up like cargo and many of them were shipped to what we today know as the United States of America and nearly 2 million Africans would die in transit. For the 10.7 million who survived this transatlantic slave trade, life would become a living hell. 
On reaching America, they were shackled, enslaved, forced to work in sugar fields. Men, women and children fell to the ground and died on the plantation fields. Slaves were whipped, beaten, burnt, mutilated, raped. So does America have a racist history? Yes, it does. Fast forward a few years, a civil war and secession. U.S. President Abraham Lincoln freed all slaves. The date was the 1st of January, 1863. The decree read, all persons held as slaves are and henceforth shall be free. Two years later, on June 19, 1865, Union General Gordon Granger told the slaves of Galveston, Texas, that they were officially free. The day is now known as Juneteenth. The National Museum of African American History and Culture calls it America's Second Independence Day. The United States celebrates Juneteenth every year. But what exactly do they celebrate? There is racism in policing. Black people make up 13% of America's population, but they account for 28% of those killed by police in 2020. There is racism in the criminal justice system. One in every 10 black men in his 30s is in jail on any given day. Youth of color make two-thirds of the youth detained. There's still housing discrimination. There is still banking discrimination. Blacks and Hispanics face extra challenges in getting home loans. In 2015, 27.4% of black applicants and 19.2% of Hispanic applicants were denied mortgages. There is still educational discrimination. Nearly 72.4% of black students attend a high poverty school. In comparison, it's 31.3% for whites. Then there's workplace discrimination. A black graduate is more likely to be unemployed. But there are certain jobs where people of color are overrepresented. The lowest paying ones, like food servers, porters, barbers, tailors, dry cleaning workers, concierges, chauffeurs, agricultural workers. In 2018, an average black worker earned just 62% of an average white worker. There is also wealth inequality. African Americans own just one-tenth the wealth of white Americans. There is health disparity. In 2017, 10.6% of African Americans were uninsured. Why do 11 in every 1,000 babies born to black Americans die when the national average is 5.8? And then, there are hate crimes. Anti-black bias was behind 27% of the hate crimes in 2019. Some of these crimes are committed by white men in uniform. Let's look at some recent incidents. You're all familiar with these words, the last words of George Floyd. He choked to death after a white police officer knelt on his neck. What was Floyd's fault? He was suspected to have used a counterfeit $20 bill. $20! In March this year, 42-year-old Andrew Brown was shot during an attempted arrest. What was his fault? No one knows. In 2020, 41-year-old Daniel Proust died in New York. He was specially able. He had no arms on him. But the cops detained him with spit hood. He died of asphyxia because of physical restraint. What was his fault? He was running naked through the streets in a light snow. In 2014, 18-year-old Michael Brown was shot by a white police officer. Twelve bullets were fired. Brown lay dead on the streets of St. Louis for four hours. No one knows what happened. The cop was never charged. Brown's death gave birth to the Black Lives Matter movement. As we speak, police in the U.S. is three times more likely to fatally shoot a black man. If this is not racism, what is? America has failed to practice equality at home. 
but it is preaching to the world. Now we come to the question, why is America so racist? Number one, it has legacy. And number two, the legacy has now become political. There are two major parties of America, the Democrats and the Republicans. African Americans mostly vote for the Democrats, the whites for the Republicans. Barack Obama was the first black man in the White House. His election was seen by many as a national atonement for the sin of slavery. But race also became one of Obama's biggest failures. Under his administration, the percentage of Americans who believed racism was on the rise doubled. Incidents of racism rose too. It was under the Trump administration, not the Obama administration, that lynching was finally declared a federal crime. But that doesn't clear Trump of anything. He played the white supremacy card, whipped up nationalism, made proud boys prouder and sent troops to fight the Black Lives Matter movement. Joe Biden promised to heal the nation, but few months in office and he says America is not even racist. Can you solve a problem without acknowledging it? I started by showing you some headlines, I'll end by showing you some more. Cases of mental health are rising in the US because of racism against Asian Americans. Minority children in America are lagging behind even in full-time classroom learning. The pandemic has affected more black Americans compared to their white counterparts. Domestic extremism has become mainstream and could threaten American life for 20 years. Half of all U.S. minority-owned small businesses could not afford rent in April. The United States of America is among the 10 worst countries for racial equality. And yet the U.S. thinks it has the moral high ground to school others on minority affairs. It has none. And with that, I rest my case. Abolition. Abolition. And with that, I rest my case. Uh, I got a friend of ours listening out there, a supporter who's trying to call in. Let's go ahead and bring her in, Tag. And uh, 4286, your line is open. Welcome to Abolition today. Hi. Yes, <clears throat> excuse my accent. I'm from Louisiana, and <clears throat> I've been listening to uh, Jared Ball and uh, your show, and uh, Dr. CBS, uh, and Joy James, and uh, and and following your show as well now for about at least a year, and um, you know I'm horrified that. Um, I moved back to Louisiana for personal reasons, and I haven't lived here my entire life, and I've moved around a lot, and I'm absolutely horrified at the conditions here in terms of um, the racism and, uh, you know, um, the Ronald Green thing is is just atrocious, and, you know, COVID, and I mean, it is genocide. And, you know, I'm a white woman, but, um, you know, I mean, I can see it. I can't tell you, I can tell you there is not a day um, that I, you know, I've been saying for years, why aren't we marching in the streets? And then we do march in the streets and and people, you know, we're, we're, we're basically, you know, now you can't march in the streets because they'll kill you especially if you're black. And, you know, um I can't I can't seem to get anyone here organized. And I think it's a problem in a lot of states. You know, no one seems to be doing anything right now. I don't understand 
What is it going to take well, to Angela, change it, the national consciousness? If you've been listening to us for a year, you know that there are people who are doing something, and that's one of the reasons why this program exists and why we just showed those clips that the world now is joining us in this right. course. Uh, so there are, uh, is uh, advancements being made, but it must feel very hopeless. I know it does for us uh, to to yeah. see this occur, especially in Louisiana, in a yeah. uh, a red state like that, which is a traditional slave state, slave state, right. and still practicing right. Jim Crow laws with the yeah. largest prison population per capita on earth, right yeah. there in Louisiana. But, so it, it's got right. to be we hella pressure. What is it, Oklahoma? Like it, it's it's back yes. and forth and back and forth. Yeah, I think Oregon's up there with you too, right? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, traditionally, yeah, it's always been Louisiana. Um, yeah. yeah. So I understand the angst and the frustration, but have hope. Uh, we're here and we're doing the damn thing. We are, have ended slavery yeah. in three states How so far. How can I communicate to people? I mean, I was not going to vote. This may sound terrible, but I was not even going to vote, even as harm reduction for Donald. I mean, uh, for Joe Biden, because I don't. Joe Biden, I was not going to vote for Biden Harris because of their record. And okay. you know, I'm 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 60. I remember I haven't forgotten the past. And I know you know the political prisoners, and I've been following you know uh, a lot of different things for a long time now. And um, but uh, what can I do? to help organize liberals that don't what can other people do who are having the same problem? You to can, organize uh, liberals that think that, that politicians are going to save everybody, that they're going to do something when they're most of them are not. We have uh, our partners the decarcerate Louisiana at decarcerate if you would like to work with them, just reach out to them. And let them know that you have some volunteer time that you'd like to commit. Uh, they would appreciate yeah, well, the, the help in organizing. Yeah, I'm sick. I'm sick and I can't do it. And so, you know, all I can try to do is talk to people and it's hard well, to convince people. If you can make phone um, calls, that might be a help right there. Uh, so reach out to them. Yeah. Even phone calls okay. help, you know. Uh, and thank you for okay. calling in. Angela, I, okay, I appreciate the commentary, and uh, thank you for the compliments on the program. We really do our okay. best. Yes, I love it. Thank <laughs> you so much for your work. Bye-bye. Indeed. Bye. Um, Brother Tag, commentary on the clip or the conversation? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I greatly appreciate the way that it was laid out on that clip just very matter-of-factly. So, I mean, a couple of quotes. A couple of quotes from it that 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 struck me. Um, so, does America have a racist history? Yes, it does. You know, um, that's that was that was just very plain spoken and appreciated in the context of you know all of this wishy-washy, confusing language that it was referencing from some of these selected officials uh, that are a part of the U.S. regime uh, with regard to that history. And um, perhaps my uh, favorite. Uh, quote, if you will, from from that uh, clip was, um, why say something so assertively only to follow it up with a but? And uh, 
it seems to just completely mirror this question of the exception clause. You know, why why use such such uh, brolic language about um, abolition uh, only to follow it up with accept? So I, I appreciated that clarity. Right, right, and it's more powerful because I said they're a neutral state. They're no, they're not uh, seen as an enemy of America. They're supposed to be our allies, but they are telling us exactly what the problem is, and they brought receipts. Right, you know, uh, there was a quote that stood out for me where uh, she said, "Well, why is America a racist state? They have a legacy, and the legacy has become politicized." Well, you're a little late on that one. <laughs> yes, there's a legacy, but it has long been politicized. When it's not being politicized, it's the abnormal times. But it's usually uh, being politicized all the way back to the 60s where they switched places from Democrat to Republican with the Dixiecrats. And all the way up till now. And as a matter of fact, expected in 2024 because we can see right now that the, the fringes that run the political party of the Republican Party have put their money on Trump for 24, and they're getting ready for that. They're going to use all the racist crap that he used then again in 2024. And I was just going to quickly say, it just it speaks to the, the delicate character of some of these geopolitical decisions. You know, um, it, the U.S. Is, is out here just violating left and right, um, and and then, you know, so as you mentioned, we're talking about somebody who is ostensibly, or a country that's ostensibly an ally and a friend, et cetera, but, but even their friends and allies, the U.S. is violating, you know, every other day. So, you know, hegemonically speaking, it, it, it looks like uh, that, that politicization process is becoming more and more um, potentially overwhelming for the U.S. as far as, you know, who, who it can rely on not to point out these, these glaring contradictions. Yes. <clears throat> yep. Um, the other thing that she was saying reminded me of a quote by James Baldwin. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And that's what we've been having a problem with getting people to face reality about what it is we're really dealing with and stop using these metaphors and synonyms and almost like, and kind of like you're dealing with crimes against humanity. The world is telling you that while we're in our little echo chamber bubble here in the United States, all over the world, people are going, you guys are screwed up. (laughs) Those are crimes against humanity that you're doing. Just put it in perspective. See, Sometimes people don't recognize a genocide unless it happens all at once. And then it's like, oh, wow, 10,000 people are dead. That's a genocide. Well, let me point out that in the past decade, over 40 to 50,000 people have been killed by police in the United States alone. 40 to 50,000 just in the, in, in the past decade. With the, if you include the prison guards and the deaths in prisons, and the uh, alleged deaths in police custody, and, and that's another thing that points to crimes against humanity. Something I was reading recently is that there have been multiple dozens of cases where police now have put as the not just police but also coroners have put as the list uh, as the uh, reason for death on a number of deaths in police cu- cu- 
custody of black people as um, sickle cell anemia. Sickle cell freaking anemia. Like 40-some-odd people have died in police custody of sickle cell anemia. (laughs) Man, that is so cruel and evil to even write it down like that. It's almost like saying, killed another Negro. It's a cover-up. Ain't nobody dying in a freaking sickle cell anemia in police custody. And these are the reports that are coming out from the investigations that they've done. So it's basically them bragging about killing another black person every time they write that down as the reason for death. What's the reason for death? Well, we can't say he was a Negro. So let's say sickle cell anemia, shit Negro has. Crimes against humanity. And it's very important that we use these phrases because that's what we're dealing with. And we also know that the United States is not interested at all in being held accountable by anybody outside of the United States and themselves. Like the police, they intend to go ahead and investigate themselves over and over and over again. Um, Unless you have any commentary to add to that, I wanted to read one of the ways that they do that. All I'll add is just excited delirium. (laughs) Excited delirium. All right, well, let me read this, and it says, U.S. sets sanctions against the International Criminal Court. Now, this is the same International Criminal Court uh, that is charging the the police with crimes against humanity. They say, Washington, D.C., the Trump administration's announced action against the International Criminal Court, ICC, escalates its efforts to thwart justice for victims of serious crimes, Human Rights Watch said today. Now, this was June 11, 2020, so just about a year ago now. Donald Trump issued an executive order that authorizes asset freezes and family travel bans against ICC officials and potentially targets others who assist ICC investigations. The Trump administration has repeatedly threatened to block ICC investigations in Afghanistan and Palestine that could probe conduct by U.S. and Israeli nationals. The U.S. revoked the ICC's prosecutor's visa in 2019 in retaliation for what was then a potential investigation in Afghanistan. On May 15th, U.S. Secretary of State Pompeo bowed to exact consequences if the ICC continues down its current course, that is, if the court moves forward with a Palestine investigation. The sanctions can be applied on a case-by-case basis in relation to ICC investigations of U.S. personnel or uh, of U.S. allies. Um, Asset freezes and travel bans are for human rights violators, not those seeking to bring rights violators to justice, said Richard Dicker. International Justice Director at Human Rights Watch, by targeting the ICC, the Trump administration continues to assault, uh, continues its assault on the global rule of law, putting the U.S. on the side of those who commit and cover up grave abuses, not those who prosecute them. Okay. Yeah, this this seems to be just a consistent position for the U.S. and for these slavers. Uh, across the U.S., you know, and, and globally, but certainly in the U.S. So, you know, you, you target the ones that are doing what they can to shed light on the abuses against human rights, and, and it just completely turns logic on its head, turns, uh, you know, notions of justice on their heads. So, you know, we, we have countless examples of 
heads like Maria Abu Jamal and, and, and countless others who have been doing what they can to expose uh, these crimes against humanity, these human rights violations, and they are the ones that are targeted uh, most aggressively. And then you have, you know, characters like, like Drunks and others who, you know, from, from their standpoint of gangsterism and their believed sense of impunity, uh, will will just single out and target those that are looking to pursue uh, some some modicum of justice out here when 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 they know they they can't profit from justice or they don't have any interest in doing so. So um, that that seems like him through and through, and and those that are like him, I'm reminded, you know, of of, of how Palestine gets demonized all day every day out here, and you know, thankfully we're seeing some some real. Uh, some real shifts in 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 how in how that struggle is going at least on the propaganda and, and public relations level where you know more and more uh are starting to see that apartheid is um is another of these crimes against humanity and 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 shouldn't be tolerated uh on on any level so you know but they're they're demonized for for simply doing what they can to hold on to to their own homeland and to resist against those that are bulldozing them out of their, their homeland. So, you know, we see this all day, every day. You know, the ASH president issued a reply in regards to the sickle cell anemia charge that people are dying of sickle cell anemia. He said the use of sickle cell trait to cover up the deaths of black people while in police custody is abhorrent and has no scientific or medical merit. Based upon our examination of the highest quality up-to-date data as expert hematologists and scientists, we decry the use of sickle cell trait as a cause or major contributor of deaths of black people while in police custody. Sudden death is an extraordinarily rare occurrence of sickle cell trait and the findings of sickle cell trait is unlikely to supersede other influ- inflect- infected traumas as the cause or major factor in death. As reported by the New York Times, in, two, in two-thirds of the cases where sickle cell trait was incorrectly misinterpreted as the cause of death, the descendants have been forcefully restrained or yeah, the descendants have been forcefully restrained, beaten pepper sprayed, and or shot with stun guns. This incorrect characterization is without scientific or medical merit and is reminiscent of pseudoscience and biased beliefs used to justify unspeakable acts and injustices against select cohorts of people during humanity's darkest hours. He just described what is recognized as a crime against humanity. It doesn't have to be tens of thousands of people. Yeah, and it's it, it's a it's a, at least a double slap in the face because when we're talking about sickle cell anemia, it was heads like Dr. Matum Shakur and the Black Panthers and the Young Lords and revolutionary organizations who were doing what they could on on limited resources to to help to limit. Uh, the impacts of sickle cell in our communities, and only only after them raising that contradiction and, and really bringing that to the forefront on the public health level, were were you know these these uh, 
government officials and et cetera, public health officials, you know, starting to, to really take that seriously on, on a broader scale. And, and of course, Dr. Shakur is still inside, has been for, you know, 35 plus years now. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we can't, we don't have the time to go into detail to all of the different treaties that the United States has signed on to. Uh, but we do have a list of them, and we'll put it on our page at Abolition Today on social media on our Facebook page. So make sure you go over there and check it out. You can see for yourself exactly what treaties are being violated and how. I went through them as well to see this entire list, and we're breaking our treaties in every direction. Even uh, treaties that we have boycotted, that's say we as the United States. For instance, the Durban, Durban Declaration, uh, I was instructed to go ahead and take a look at that treaty. And I did, I I did some in-depth study on it and uh, it does work well as far as a means of offering protection against slavery for nation states or nations that are using slavery. Unfortunately, the United States refuses to be held accountable, not only for what it's doing, but for what it has already done. They're very afraid of that. As a matter of fact, I've got a clip that not only explains to you what uh, crimes against humanity are and when it, this whole term was created uh, and, and what it means, but also it gives you the reasons why the United States tries to avoid being held accountable at all costs by anybody because they've already did the damn deed. All right, so let's go ahead and play that. It's also going to be uh, having a musical back called The Sounds of Silence by Wahaki Kwana. Uh, it's an Amer- Native American tribe performers doing pan flutes of The Sound of Silence. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. I'm here with Tag Hartman today. I'm Max Parfus. We'll be right back after this. Abolition, Abolition. Today. Abolition. Focusing on genocide as the public does, It is now, clearly, a subset of crimes against humanity. What do we know about the term crimes against humanity? Around for a couple of hundred years, one early use is attributed to Robespierre, who described Louis XVI as a criminal against humanity. The term featured in Abraham Lincoln's 1860 electoral platform when, which branded the reopening of the, America, of the African slave trade as a crime against humanity. The term started to shrink into, onto or into legal use in the 1907 Hague Convention preamble, but made its first formal appearance as a law in the Armenian massacres or in a declaration about the Armenian massacres in 1915 when um, the crimes when a declaration by France, Great Britain and Russia said that the presence of crimes of Turkey against humanity and then went on to deal with other things. Um, The countries I identified did not include America and in light of what's going to follow, America's attitude was interesting. US Secretary of State Robert Lansing declined to endorse this crimes against humanity condemnation and, and said that it was, there was a more or less justifiable right of the Turkish government 
to deport Armenians to the extent that they lived within the zone of military operations. He wasn't going to have an extensive use of crimes against humanity. In any event, in the event, as it happened, the Treaty of Sèvres that might have created the first tribunal to try crimes against humanity was, I think, overturned by the Treaty of Lausanne, and very little came of it. But post-World War II Nuremberg trials included crimes against humanity. And revealingly, in 1945, Justice Jackson at the conference that preceded the trials echoed what Lansing, the Secretary of State, had said, making it clear it was no part of the USA's function to interfere with the internal affairs of another country, even if they were exterminating their citizens. And so, when crimes against humanity was defined for World War II, it was important to the Americans, as uh, Jackson candidly acknowledged, that they should not allow the crime to cover countries like America for acts that they may, may have performed in their own past. And it was essential to consign um, the use in World War II of crimes against humanity to what was within war, by the phrase that you can see there, persecutions on political, racial or religious grounds in execution of or in connection with war. Professor Shabas argues that it was a, perhaps as a result of this that Raphael Lemkin, I think we've got a picture of him, most important, wonderful man, who coined the term genocide in 1943 and brought it into some general use by the time of the, um, uh, the Nuremberg tribunals, realised that what had happened in the tribunal meant that pre-war action against the Jews, or post-war, was not going to be justiciable. So he hurried himself to the United Nations and ensured that the Genocide Convention was passed, which it was, and that would allow for the pursuit of countries that committed genocide as defined, even out of the context of war. Abolition. Abolition. All right, that was The Sounds of Silence by the Waki Kwana and Americas and Crimes Against Humanity by Sir Jeffrey Nice, QC. Uh, Brother Tag? Yeah, yeah. Much there, feeling the pan flutes. Absolutely. Right. I mean, <laughs> the irony wasn't lost, you know what I mean? No, no question. No, it's, it's, it's rugged and you know, um, just just quickly, one one quick observation that I would offer up is this question of the Armenian genocide in Turkey and how the U.S. Um, you know, under uh, Blinken and, and all that, uh, felt uh, bold enough to call out uh, the the Armenian genocide or, or or to change their position, their long held position. Of, of not calling out that genocide, um, you know, on International Human Rights Day, if, if I'm recalling accurately, just, just recently, a couple of weeks back or so. And, um, yeah, again, it, it's just one of these, these uh, extremely hypocritical examples of the U.S. just further and further 
putting themselves, opening itself up for uh, the the very valid and righteous claims um, right back at the U.S. Uh, about genocide, human rights, uh, violations, crimes against humanity. How, how is the U.S. going to point the finger? Right, right. Um, I think I want to, we got about 15, 20 minutes left of things that we got to cover. So what I want to do is switch gears now um, and get into making basically what really is an announcement. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, more than a news report. Uh, but as many here know, for years now, and this includes you, Tag, you were part of this. Uh, we have been part of divestment pro- programs and pushing divestment programs for for-profit prisons. We work with Columbia University students, with the students of Alabama, uh, you know, all, all over the country. Uh, universities are being challenged for having investments in for-profit private prisons, and the banks as well were being pressured by the stigma of a for-profit private prison because for-profit prisons create a demand for prisoners. It's really just as simple as the market thing, you know? Uh, So not even the banks will do business with them. And the most recent news that has come out now is that the GEO group is nearing death, that it is about to go bankrupt. There's a very good chance. And when I say very good chance, let me give you the exact probability, 48%. Now, that's what they say from macro axis wealth optimization, that the current geo probability of bankruptcy is 48%. Uh, geo Group Incorporated is one of the largest operators of private prisons and immigration detention centers in the U.S. and has been snubbed by much of Wall Street, is planning to sell at least $200 million of its convertible bonds to refinance debt maturing next year. The company, though, has tapped StoneX Group Incorporated to run the sale amid increasing political scrutiny over the for-profit prison industry, according to people with knowledge of this matter who asked not to be identified because details of the transaction are private. And that's from Bloomberg.com. Tag? Yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm not uh, in any way going to be shedding a single tear um, at, at the eventual uh, death of Geo Group. That is, uh, I think that goes without saying. And ideally, we can do whatever we can to to tip those scales from forty-eight uh, percent to a hundred percent, hundred ten percent. This is this exactly. is exactly is, is necessary. So that I, that's that's welcome news. Let's let's keep that pressure on. You know, there are going to be ripple effects from this should they go bankrupt because all of the other for-profit private industries, that, uh, prison industries that have born, been born around them uh, will now feel the same threat coming in their direction. You know, like G4S, which is also uh, partially owned by the GEO Group. So G4S, as we've said many times here, has been the largest private employer on the entire continent of Africa. And now, if they're looking at what's happening with their uh, sister company, the Geo Group, they've got to be very concerned. And from what I understand, G4S was just sold to another larger company, so they're concerned with it now. Uh, and many of the other for-profit private industries all over the globe should feel the pressure of that. You need to get out of that business now because that business is a crime against humanity. It's part of a criminal enterprise, and if 
trials ever begin, you can rest your little pretty ass. You're going to be on trial. So I'm just saying, that's the way things are going. Um, and, and these are all the efforts of collected efforts of people all over this country here who are just normal people, sick and tired of it, who figured out, you know, the trick uh, of slavery and human trafficking and stood up and, and made a difference. I applaud everybody all across this country who has played their role in making these massive changes that have killed global industries built on flesh peddling. Um, that have changed constitutions in states that haven't seen their constitutions change since they were freaking founded. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that takes a lot of effort and, it, and it's all just regular folks like us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Without question. It's, 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 uh, it's all needed, you know, all, all hands on deck as they say. And so I, I would, I would especially shout out those on the inside that are, you know, doing the the heaviest lifting in that regard, you know, just just taking whatever control they can over their own labor and their own destinies and, you know, doing whatever it is they have to do, whether that's work strikes or, you know, filing suits and grievances and organizing. So, and, you know, we we are aware of these efforts and, and those that we're not aware of, you know, so a special shout to them. Um, as you know, we've, we've been focusing on uh, this this issue around uh, the the labor question um, in you know through certain developments um, like the non PMO project and other efforts and um, I would just also point toward for those that are in the New York area um, recently there's been a renewed push to to get some legislation together to um, to detach from these slaver uh, corporations that are especially entangled with uh, state institutions. Um, and 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 the schools, especially, there are a lot of students that are putting in work that's been ongoing, but there seems to be some renewed life in that direction, um, especially slavery corporations like Corecraft, where they have had you know for for pennies and less, uh, making license plates and trash cans and glasses and you know um, you name it on these uh, inside plantations. Hey, uh, Tag, we're running really low on time, and there, and I want to try to squeeze in these last two clips. So let's kind of play them with just a little bit of re- re- rhetoric in between the two. But I've been dying to get people to hear this one particular one from Marsha Ballard. She's the author of Slavery as Punishment, which was very much inspired by the actions that we've taken at the ASNN. And she had a brilliant idea. So I want people to hear this uh, idea. So let's go into that. We'll be right back. Abolition. 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 So on page 27, I talk about um, knowing your rights and your right to know. And what I'm discussing there is enslavement as punishment should be something that people should know about, especially if they are or have to be part of the criminal justice system. So what I write is, is knowing your rights the same as your right to know. I believe it is, especially when enslavement as punishment slash involuntary servitude uh, exception clauses are in state and federal constitutions. I understand that amending constitution, be it at the slave or especially 
I'm sorry, at the state or especially at the federal level is daunting. Protracted, a daunting protracted endeavor. And as such, and because of slavery as punishment clauses, extent relationship to the American criminal justice system, it is, I believe, critical that until enslavement is completely removed from the U.S. Constitution and state constitutions without any exception, that individuals arrested on suspicions of crime have the right to know and understand fully prior to their possible conviction, especially if they are considering taking a plea, that they can be lawfully enslaved. And what I did on page 28 was I showed uh, an instance where you have the notification of your rights from the Fifth Amendment, which is the Miranda warning. And my proposal was a notification of enslavement warning uh, taken from the 13th Amendment. And what it says is, just like I'll read the uh, Miranda, uh, warning. It says you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed to you. What I proposed was under due process of law as, a, as state or federal law applied, if you are duly Convicted of a crime, you could forfeit some of all of your citizenship rights and as a as means of punishment be enslaved and or subject to involuntary servitude. And the point of that was to bring it out into the open because there's a lot of people that don't know that this exception clause exists and the federal Constitution and state constitution. Abolition. 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 All right, that was uh, Marsha Ballard, and she wrote the book titled Enslavement as Punishment. And what she was referencing was the new Miranda rights, which she has pushed forward, that people be informed immediately that conviction could lead to freaking enslavement. They need to know because they don't know. Uh, quick comments from you, Tag? Uh, all I have to say is it, it makes perfect sense to me. They should have been done that. But as with the Miranda uh, scenario, it, it doesn't appear to be aimed at actually furnishing heads with, with uh, the rights that they have. Um, it seems to be uh, one more smokescreen by and large, but uh, absolutely that should happen. Absolutely, man. I thought it was brilliant. All right, well, let's get into this next clip. It's going to take a few minutes, but trust me, you're going to, you're going to feel us on this. Uh, this is Brave New Films, Private Torture for Profit, Interrogation at Abu Ghraib. And that's going to be followed by Peter Tosh's Glass House. We have committed crimes against humanity. Here's one. Be right back. Abolition. 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 I received a telephone call. Um, from a Mr. Saleh. He said, uh, can you help me? He said, the Americans took my money and they hurt me very bad. Um, and I just came from Abu Ghraib. He told me of one incident where, um, uh, you know, he was uh, stripped nude and um, they tied a rope to his penis with seven or eight other men. And then they would, um, these were American personnel, he's telling me, 
um, and they would push one man and all of them would fall and, and, and they'd be joking and laughing and mocking him. I would ask him, who was doing this to you, Mr. Saleh? And he would say, well, they were, there were two types of people. One was dressed some type of military personnel wearing the army. And then the other type would be in civilian clothing. I go, what do you mean civilian clothing? He goes, like normal pants, like uh, any normal pants and a normal shirt. So that's the first time when it struck me that there's another element being involved here in Abu Ghraib, another type of person there. On Tuesday, the day I was arrested, I went to my work in Hashwah. I am an electrical engineer. I was transported to the Abu Ghraib prison on January 1st, 2004. There was a person wearing civilian clothes and giving orders. I think he belonged to the private company. They put me back in the cell, cuffed my hands again, and ripped away my clothes off in a savage way. One of their strategies is to tie a rope around the penis and cut off the circulation. What is the purpose of this? What is the purpose of the injection So that to this day I can't have any more children. Why is the military using private companies to interrogate detainees? These two companies for certain, Titan and when I saw the photograph for the first time, and I said to the commander of the criminal investigation division who was showing them to me, um, I said, why are the translators around the prisoners? Why, why are the translators in the cell block? And he said, ma'am, those aren't translators. Those are khaki interrogators.
Preceded by private torture for profit interrogators at Apple Grave. All right, uh, Brother Tag, we are getting into our closing uh, comments for the evening. Uh, anything you want to say about the clip or program in general throughout the evening? Yeah, no question. I mean, Peter Tosh, one of the greatest to ever do it in, in my view. And, um, you know, and should check out uh, the film about Peter Tosh stepping Razor Red X, you know, as far as his own. Uh, struggles behind these these same kinds of uh, slaver carceral forces, you know, on the international level, just a just a very uh, important voice um, out here. But yeah, I mean, so much to say about Abu Ghraib, so much to say about how how uh, prison slavery and its entwinement with U.S. militarism, uh, just all across this 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 globe is just. Um, corrupting so many spaces and, and attempting to 
reproduce those those slaver logics um, all over the world as it has been for centuries. So, um, but voices like those help help us to you know stay grounded and focused. So greatly appreciate that. And um, you know, there's a few developments that that are occurring right now that you know I, I'd be um, down to shout out if there's a, a minute or two to, to um, point to those. I know we got the whole close. We out. got a minute. We got a minute. So on this on this international level that we've been discussing, uh, the UN, interestingly enough, and and due to the kind of work that it takes to get something like this done, um, just last month, April 20th, uh, produced a report about Mumia. So this is the UN Human Rights Office of the High Commissioner, and you could find that the the title is Shackling of Aged Inmate Mumia Abu Jamal is deplorable UN experts. So please peep that out if you haven't yet on ohchr.org. That's the Office of the High Commissioner, uh, UN Human Rights. And also want to just point toward uh, another major violation and crime against humanity going on um, in the New York area. Uh, As some of y'all may know, there's a slaver ship um, out there in the East River, um, you know, referred to as the boat, but um, that's that's where hundreds are being held right now um, under conditions that uh, they have been intercepted. Some of some of what these slavers have been doing have been intercepted, and y'all could peep that out. Avery Duvernay um, recently tweeted about it, and um, that's going on at at um, at Vaughn, um, which is also known as the boat. And uh, you can actually um, help help to uh, support uh, the bailout fund for that uh, at COVID Bailout NYC, and you can find more information about that if you're on Twitter or some of these other social media um, at at root underscore branch NYC at root underscore branch NYC uh, to find out more about the the slaver ship um, where where they're using chemical um, chemical weapons and all sorts of madness to try and uh, maintain control over these heads who are enslaved on a boat in the East River uh, out in New York. Oof. Thank you very much, Brother Tag. I first want to say thank you to you for uh, being here with me today on this important topic that it really required two people to discuss uh, these crimes against humanity and the international reaction just to the superficial stuff, the stuff that they can see, you know? So I appreciate you, brother. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in a few days when you come in, down here and spend a few weeks working with me here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center. Uh, so much appreciated. I don't put you to work early. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you to our caller. Word, brother. Thank you to our caller, Angela. Shout out to our people in Louisiana and all over the country with the Abolish Slavery National Network. I want to say, uh, give a shout out to our sponsors, uh, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the Iron We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Same Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and our partners, Black Talk Radio Network, who are simulcasting this live right now. Uh, it's like coming home, right, brother? <laughs> Remember to subscribe to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash abolition today uh, for all the news, information, and music that you hear on this program. Also, follow the hosts on social media. I'm at Max Parthas. 
uh, I don't know if Tag is doing Facebook, but I think you're doing Twitter, right? Uh, not personally, but definitely uh, Root and Branch Collective, which was formerly IWOC NYC. You can uh, look us up there on Twitter and, and on the rest of the social media. Uh, root, it's uh, root underscore uh, branch NYC. And, uh, you, you know, you can hit me up on email or, or what have you. Um, and, yeah, you know, just reach out. Also, uh, spiritofmandela.org um, for, the, for the Spirit of Mandela campaign. Word. Um, we are not done yet. We still got some jewels for you. One more jewel for you. As always, we bring the ancestors' voices back to life and pair it up with some music that fits perfect. Abolition Today is available on all your favorite major podcast platforms and is simulcast as I said on the Black Talk Radio Network. Remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us to become a part of the solution. We'll be back on Sunday, January 4th with another masterclass on slavery abolition. So until until then, think about abolition today. Um, Our final segment is going to be William Lloyd Garrison and his address to the slaves of the United States, read by Robert Ojeda. And that's going to be followed by Get Up, Stand Up, featuring Skip and Cedelia Marley. So we ain't got nothing but classics today. You've been listening to Abolition Today. I'm Max Parkers. I was here today joined by Tag Harmon, and I'll see you next week. Peace. Abolition. Abolition. Address to the Slaves of the United States. William Lloyd Garrison, June 2nd, 1843. Take courage. Be filled with hope and comfort. Your redemption draws nigh, for the Lord is mightily at work in your behalf. Is it not frequently the darkest before daybreak? The word has gone forth that you shall be delivered from your chains, and it has not been spoken in vain. Although you have many enemies, yet you have also many friends, warm, faithful, sympathizing, devoted friends, who will never abandon your cause, who are pledged to do all in their power to break your chains, who are laboring to effect your emancipation without delay, in a peaceable manner, without the shedding of blood, who regard you as brethren and countrymen, and fear not the frowns or threats of your masters. They call themselves abolitionists. They have already suffered much in various parts of the country for rebuking those who keep you in slavery, for demanding your immediate liberation, for revealing to the people the horrors of your situation, for boldly opposing a corrupt public sentiment by which you are kept in the great southern prison house of bondage, Some of them have been beaten with stripes. Others have been stripped and covered with tar and feathers. Others have had their property taken from them, burnt in the streets. Others have had large rewards offered by your masters for their seizure. Others have been cast into jails and penitentiaries. Others have been mobbed and lynched with great violence. Others have lost their reputation and been ruined in their business. Others have lost their lives. All these and many other outrages of equally grievous kind, they have suffered for your sakes. And because they are your friends, they cannot go to the South to see and converse with you face to face. For so ferocious and bloody-minded are your taskmasters, they would be put to ignominious death as soon as discovered. Besides, it is not yet necessary that they should incur this peril. 
for it is solely by the aid of the people of the north that you are held in bondage, and therefore they find enough to do at home to make the people hear your friends and to break up all connection with the slave system. They have proved themselves to be truly courageous and sensible to danger, superior to adversity, strong in principle, invincible in argument, animated by the spirit of impartial benevolence, unwearied in devising ways and means for your deliverance, the best friends of the whole country, the noblest champions <clears throat> of the human race. Ten years ago, they were so few and feeble as only to excite universal contempt. Now they number in their ranks hundreds of thousands of people. Then they had scarcely a single anti-slavery society in operation. Now there are thousands. Then they had only one or two presses to plead your cause. Now they have multitudes. They are scattering all over the land their newspapers, books, pamphlets, tracts, and other publications to hold up to infamy the conduct of your oppressors and to awaken the sympathy in your behalf. They are continually holding anti-slavery meetings in all parts of the free states to tell people the story of your wrongs. Wonderful has been the change effected in public feeling under God through their instrumentality. Do not fear that they will grow weary in your service. They are confident of success in the end. They know the Lord Almighty is with them, that truth, justice, right are with them, that you are with them. They know, too, that your masters are cowardly and weak through conscious wrongdoing and already beginning to falter their course. Lift up your heads, O ye despairing slaves. Yet a little while and your chains shall snap asunder and you shall be tortured and plundered no more. Then, fathers and mothers, your children shall be yours to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Then husbands and wives, now torn from each other's arms, you shall be reunited in the flesh, and man shall no longer dare to put asunder those whom God has joined together. Then, brothers and sisters, you shall be sold to the remorseless slave speculator no more, but dwell together in unity. God hasten that joyful day is now the daily prayer of millions. The weapons with which the abolitionists seek to effect your deliverance are not bowie knives, pistols, swords, guns, or any other deadly implements. They consist of appeals, warnings, rebukes, arguments and facts, addressed to the understandings, consciences, and hearts of the people. Many of your friends believe that not even those who are oppressed, whether their skins are white or black, can shed the blood of their oppressors in accordance with the will of God, while many others believe that it is right for the oppressed to rise and take their liberty by violence if they can secure it in no other manner. But they, in common with all your friends, believe that every attempt at insurrection would be attended with disaster and defeat on your part, because you are not strong enough to contend with the military power of the nation. Consequently, their advice to you is to be patient, long-suffering, and submissive, yet a while longer, trusting that, by the blessing of the Most High, on their labors, you will yet be emancipated without shedding a drop of your master's blood or losing a drop of your own. The abolitionists of the North are the only true and unyielding friends on whom you can rely. They will never deceive nor betray you. They have made your cause their own, and they mean to be true to themselves and to you, whatever may be the consequence. 
They are continually increasing in number, in influence, in enterprise, and determination. And judging from the success which has already attended their measures, they anticipate that, in a comparatively short period, the entire North will receive you with open arms and give you shelter and protection as fast as you escape from the South. We who now address you are united with them in spirit and design. We glory in the name of abolitionists, for it signifies friendship for all who are pining in servitude. We advise you to seize every opportunity to escape from your masters, and fixing your eyes on the North Star, travel on until you reach a land of liberty. You are not the property of your masters. God never made one human being to be owned by another. Your right to be free at any moment is undeniable, and it is your duty, whenever you can, peaceably, to escape from the plantations on which you are confined and assert your manhood. Greetings, I'm Sedella. And I'm Skip Marley, and we stand for racial justice. Every time.
Abolition. Hey, this is Max Parthas. One more time. I just want to let you know, if you like what we're doing and you'd like to help support us financially, our PayPal is abolitionistcenter at gmail.com, and our cash app is abolition, with a capital A, CTR, with a capital C. That's abolition, CTR, capital C, and capital A. I'd also like to announce that Abolition Today and the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center are asking for submissions of readings from historical black abolitionist speeches. We play them every week during our Bridging the Gap segment. To date, we've aired dozens of black abolitionist speeches, which have never been heard since the day they were spoken by the original authors until now. We know that the voices of those who were directly affected by slavery are the voices you hear the least. Our goal is to change that for the past, the present, and the future. If you're interested in helping the movement by bringing our ancestors' words back to life, especially those trained in verbal delivery, please pick a speech from the Black Abolitionist Archives, UDM Libraries, and um, list and record yourself reading it aloud with all the passion it deserves. Remember to introduce the speech, the article, the author, the date it was written or delivered or published, the location, and yourself as the speaker. Videos are accepted but not necessary. We'll be playing audio versions only on air. Please be conscious of background noise, clarity, and quality. Length is not an issue. We can play longer speeches over multiple episodes, as we have done before. This is all volunteer efforts. If you're interested, send MP3s or MP4s to abolitionistcenter at gmail.com. Thank you for your support and your interest, and we appreciate you. See you next week. Peace.